from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is Crosswalk. We're glad you've joined us. Pastor Clay is away this week. Our current sermon series, Survivor, continues in two weeks when Pastor Clay returns. Paul Fleming is with us for this week's Cross Culture message. I'm glad to be here today. Uh, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles or your device and find Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I promise you this, if you'll listen today, God will speak to you in a specific way, and He'll do something special you won't forget today. And so I'm going to ask you in just a moment to pray with me, and I'm going to ask you to pray a simple prayer where you sit, and it's this, God, if you speak to me today, I will obey. Would you be willing to do that today? Would you be willing to say to the Lord, God, if you speak to me today, you show me something today, I'll do what you want me to do. Now, it will take you a few minutes to get used to my South Carolina accent. Uh, let me survey this crowd. How many of you are from North Carolina? Raise your hand. Oh, that's most of you. And then the rest of you are transplanted. You found out, come south where there's grits and gravy, and you're here. God bless you. We're glad you're here. And uh, let's pray. If we, will we pray with me? And if you'll pray in your heart that little prayer that I said, God, if you speak to me today, I will obey. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask you to do today what only you can do. And Lord, that person here today who's been deceived or blinded and they've never really found their, their place in Christ, may today they come to say yes to Jesus. And Lord, may you put a dream, may you put a, a burden in the heart of God's people. Lord, may you do something this morning that we can look back on 25 years from now and say God did something that day that changed the course of my life, my family, my church, my ministry. Lord, do that work today. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're saying to me, you know, Paul, I, I come to Cross Culture, I've got friends here, and, and uh, they talk about surrendering your life to Christ and selling out to Christ and letting Jesus take control of your life. And uh, if you just knew my background, if you knew my past, if you know who I'm, I am, uh, for me to do that, that's as impossible as a man walking on the water. And some of you here today would say, you know, Paul, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and, and, and I, I, I listen to sermons, and I take Bible studies, and I go to small group, and they talk about being a disciple maker and being a person who invests in other people and a person who brings people to Christ and helps those people mature in the faith. But for me to do that personally, that's as impossible as a man walking on the water. And some of you, God's speaking to your heart about some area of service. It may be missions, it may be church, or it may be something else. And you've given God a million excuses for why you haven't done what He's asked you to do because you've said to God, God, uh, you know who I am. You know all of my faults and my failures. You know all of my inabilities. But for me to do what you're asking me to do this morning, to me, that's as impossible as a man walking on the water. And so this morning, what I want to share with you is a message, and the message is a simple one, how to walk on water. Look with me where you are, Matthew chapter 14, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. Literally the word there is phantom. It is a phantom. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, 
If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, almost everything Peter said in the Gospels was a mistake. Most of us identify with Peter more than any other disciple because all of his faults and failures are out there for everybody to see. Almost everything he said, the only thing he ever said right was, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Almost everything else he said was a mistake. Even one time where Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter made a lot of mistakes, and yet Peter was one that God used in a mighty way to build the church of the Lord Jesus. In fact, you and I are here today because Peter and those other disciples decided to do what Jesus said do make disciples and so we're here today because of what they did but Peter walked on the water I'm a history buff I I love history and everywhere I've I've traveled I traveled for 25 years in uh, crusade evangelism and so I've been all over this country and five continents of the world and I always love to go to places and learn something about history and so when you think about this I've studied history and I've studied the Bible There's only one person outside of Jesus who ever walked on water, to my knowledge, and that's Peter. But how do you walk on water? How do you do that? I want to share three simple things with you this morning that I hope when you leave here today, you'll never forget them. First of all, for you to be able to do the impossible in your life, that thing today that seems to you this is impossible for this to happen. And we could put a million things in that blank today. First of all, you must see the real Christ. You must see the real Jesus. See, Jesus came walking on the water. I remember the first time when I was in the Holy Land and I was on the Sea of Galilee. And it dawned on me for the very first time that Jesus didn't walk two or three steps. I'd always envisioned in my mind the boat had slipped out a little ways about the middle of this section here. And Jesus walked 10 or 12 steps out to the disciples out there. But then that day on the Sea of Galilee in that boat, I realized Jesus walked a mile, two miles to get to those disciples in that storm. But that's no problem for Jesus, folks. He's God. And he walked on that water to come to them. And when he did, they cried out, It is a phantom. It's a ghost. They were scared to death when they saw Jesus out there. But Peter said, Lord, if it's you, if you're real, if this thing's truly the real deal, Lord, let me walk on the water. Lord, if you're real. See, you're never going to do anything for Christ. You're never going to become a Christian. You're never going to become a disciple maker. Your church is never going to become a dynamic lighthouse for the Lord Jesus. Your ministry is never going to amount to much. You're never going to do many things for God in your family until you come to see the real Christ. I've got good news for us today, folks. Jesus is real. He really is God. He really did come in the flesh. He really was born of a virgin. He really did live a sinless life. He really did die in our place as our substitute on the cross. He really did rise from the dead. He is alive this morning. He's real today. I can promise you that. There's no doubt in my mind, not one question mark across the pathway of my life where I've ever doubted the fact that Jesus is real. And I want you to understand today that's important for you to see. See, if you never see that, you'll never do anything for God. You'll never take a step of faith. You'll you'll never attempt to do things for God. So I want you to hear me this morning quickly. I want you to understand today Jesus is not a phantom. He is real. 
And I want you to understand that Jesus is not prejudiced. Do you understand who walked on the water that day? Peter did. Do you know who Peter was? He was a fisherman. Now, what does that mean? That means he was a stinking fisherman. A man tells you he's a fisherman, doesn't smell like fish, is a liar. He's not a fisherman. In fact, fishermen in this day were, they were the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. People had nothing to do with fishermen. You never had a fisherman come to court and be a character witness for you. Nobody wanted to fool with fishermen. They were uneducated. They, in fact, in the book of Acts, the Bible says when they were doing those exploits for the Lord, they looked at him and said, these are ignorant and uneducated men. We find Peter out on the boat one day, undressed, uncouth. But that's who walked on the water that day. See, some of you never take a step of faith because you don't believe Jesus can do it for you. He can do it for somebody else, but not for you. He's not prejudiced. Doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what country you were born in. It doesn't matter what your background was. It doesn't matter what's happened in your past. God will do a miracle in your life. Not only is he not prejudiced, but he's not paralyzed. Don't you love to hear a wonderful testimony of how God's worked? Doesn't it bless you? Doesn't it lift you up? But how many of you are sitting here this morning And when you hear how God saved somebody or how God's used somebody or how God's using somebody or what God's doing in this church or that church or what God's doing among this people group or that people group, when you hear those things, you say to yourself, God, I know you can do that. You just can't do it for me. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. God is not deaf that he cannot hear. His arm is not short that it cannot reach. God's not paralyzed today. He can do it for you. He can do it in your life, your marriage, your family, your small group, your church. God's able. It's never going to happen till you see the real Christ. He is who He said He is. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is what He said He was. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and omnipresent. He's Lord. You must see the real Christ. Second simple thing this morning is this. Not only must you see the real Christ, but secondly, you must take a step of real faith. Of real faith. It's not taking you long this morning to figure out something about me. I'm just a simple man and a simple preacher. Not very complicated. But I'm going to go very deep here today. I'm I'm going to go so deep theologically that some of you are probably going to discuss it over lunch today and next week. Come back. Pastor Clay comes back. You'll probably get a meeting with him to talk about what I'm fixing to say. But that's okay. I want you to stay with me today because this is very deep. How was Peter able to walk on the water? Here's the answer. He got out of the boat. I want you to hear me this morning. Do you understand that every disciple in that boat could have walked on the water that day? But only Peter did because he got out of the boat. See, folks, I want to tell you something today. Nothing's going to happen in your life till you take a step of faith. Till you take a step of real faith. The Bible's full of examples of this. Remember Moses? Moses with that great group of Baptist people got to the Red Sea. You say, why do you call them Baptists, Paul? I I thought they were Jewish. They were Baptists because they complained the whole way. And they got to the Red Sea. And God says, Moses, you lift up that rod and I'm going to part that water. Moses lifted up that rod in obedience to God, and the water parted, and they walked across on dry ground, didn't even get any mud on the bottom of their shoes. And Pharaoh tried to follow, and God drowned Pharaoh's army in that Red Sea. Listen to me carefully this morning. But it had never happened unless a man took a step of faith. Remember the story of Joshua? Joshua's now taken over for Moses. 
They're, they're at the Jordan River. And uh, they sent in some rulers the first time they were there. You know, Moses sent in the spies, and they went in, and they came back, and ten of them came back and said, Oh, yes, everything God said it was, but we can't do it. Giants are too big. Terrain's too rough. No way we can do it. Two men, Joshua and Caleb, said, God said we could have it. We can do it if we'll obey God. They all went to bed that night. Next morning, they come to Moses' tent. Moses! 24 hours hadn't passed. Moses! Moses! Paul, why did it take so long for Moses to get up? He's a preacher. It takes a while for a preacher to get up in the morning. Moses comes to the tent door, and they look at Moses and say, Moses, we've decided we'll go into promised land now. Not 24 hours had passed. And you know what God said? No, you're not. Hear me, folks. Obedience to God's not just doing what He says to do. You've got to do it when He says to do it. Forty years they wandered in the wilderness. They're back at the Jordan River again. Joshua, you get the priests. And you tell them when they come with the Ark of the Covenant, when the sole of their foot hits that water, I'll part the Jordan and you can walk into the promised land And when those priests took that step, the waters parted and they went into the promised land and God gave them everything that He promised He would do, but it never happened without a step of faith. Remember Elijah with the widow of Zarephath? He came to this woman. She was going to die. She had enough oil and flour to make one cake of bread. The prophet said, Will you bring me a cake of bread? But I just have this much. He says, You do what I'm telling you to do, and the flour barrel will never be empty, and the oil will never run out. And she went and gave everything she had by faith to the man of God. And when she did, you know what happened? The flour never ran out, and the oil never ran out. She had everything she needed. Doesn't happen without a step of faith. You got to take such a take such a step. The Bible's full of these examples. The exhortation of the Bible is simple. Listen to me. We don't like this verse very much because we're not living this way. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God. doesn't say it's unlikely. doesn't say you might or might not. It says it is impossible to please God except by faith. You say, Paul, I, I, I'm not quite understanding. What, what are you getting at? What does it mean for me to live by faith? Let me tell you simply today. What's the thing in your life that's happening today and the only explanation is God? That's the only thing you're doing by faith. And the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. You've got to exercise that faith. You've got to get out of the boat. Henry Blackaby, that great man of God who wrote Experiencing God. If you've never read that book or taken that study, I highly encourage you to do that. Dr. Blackaby was a pastor of a little church in Canada. And there in Canada, he had begun to preach to his people about living by faith, about getting in on what God is doing and letting God work through and in you to do what he wants to accomplish. Is to obey God at all costs and to trust God for those things that you can't imagine. Well, they, they had a finance committee in that church and they gathered together. They were like the typical finance committee. I'm sure they, they asked the question. They said, uh, well, how much money did we take up last year? Somebody probably said, well, how much do we think the church will give this year? The only two problems with those two questions is they're not relevant. There's only one question, what does God want you to do? Folks, listen to me. I've been in the ministry for 42 years. 25 of those in faith ministry. And let me tell you what that simply means. If it didn't come in the mail or the offering plate, we didn't have it. And I'm here to tell you today a simple truth. and That is, if God orders it, He'll pay for it. That His group had been listening to their pastor. 
They said, you know, I don't, I don't think we ought to base this year's budget on what we did last year. The most money this little church had ever taken up was $74,000 in a year. They said, we think we ought to make a budget based on the things we think God wants us to do to reach people and disciple people. And so they created, they carved out a budget, and when they did, they came up with a budget of $164,000. And the most money they'd ever taken up was $74,000. Now, this is where I question whether these were Baptist people. Because what they said to do was, let's take it to the church. And they took it to their little old church and they said, we believe these are the things God wants us to do in obedience to Him to reach people and change, transform people's lives and mature disciples. And they voted to do it. You know how much money that church took up that year? $172,000. Folks, it doesn't happen without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. One of my dear friends in this world is Dr. Ken Hemphill. Dr. Hemphill used to be the president of Southwestern Seminary. That's really when I met him, when he was president there. And then I've had some other crossing paths with him through the years. He helped our church as an interim for a little while, about three years ago. And so I've become good friends with Dr. Hemphill. Dr. Hemphill shared with me the story of when he was in the seminary at Louisville, Kentucky. And he pastored a little church in a place called Wolf Creek, Kentucky. Wolf Creek Baptist Church. It was a church just on a, a little old road that goes through town. Wolf Creek did not only think had a stop sign, just a little old place in Kentucky. Sunday morning, they'd have about 28 people on Sunday morning. On Sunday night, they had Sunday night service. They would have four or five, and two of them was Ken and his wife. He was in a seminary class one day, and the professor said, what you ought to do in your church is have a dream the dream day in your church. It's a day when you just dream what you would like to see God do in your church. He says, it's not a business meeting. You don't vote on dreams. And Ken said, I was listening to that. And I, he said, you know, that, that's a good idea. I think I'll do that. That'll be one less sermon I'll have to get up on the weekends. And so I'll try that. So he goes back to his church there in Wolf Creek, Kentucky. And he tells them on Sunday morning, next Sunday, we're going to have a dream the dream day in our church. I'm going to preach on Sunday morning, and then we're all going to come back on Sunday night, and you're going to be able to share your dreams. It's not a business meeting. We don't vote on it. You just share what you'd like to see God do in our little church. Well, that Sunday morning, Ken preached. He preached on the text. God is able to do abundantly more than you can ask or think. God can do more than you can dream. So he went to the little parsonage that Sunday afternoon and did what most preachers do on Sunday afternoon. He took a nap. He got up from his nap, and so he started headed over to the, walked out of the parsonage door to head over to the church, and he couldn't believe what he was seeing. Every parking place was full. They were parking on the side of the road. There was almost 100 people that Sunday night in that little old church. They had never heard anybody doing anything like this. They had all come to see what was going to happen. Ken got up and said, all right, this is dream to dream night. You can stand up and share what your dream is. We don't vote on it. It's not a business meeting. Anybody got a dream? man stood up. He said, Preacher, my dream for our church is, is we'd have a basketball court. Ken said, I'm up there thinking baptisms, discipleship, small group ministry, and this bird's worried about basketball. He said, about the time that thought went through his mind, the Holy Spirit said, Ken, what's big in Kentucky? Ken said, I thought horse racing, whiskey, and basketball. He said, the Holy Spirit said, the first two's out for church growth, son. So Ken said, somebody write that down, a basketball court. That person sat down and somebody stood up and said, preacher, my dream for our church is, is we'd have a youth choir. 
He said, youth choir, he said, I want you to understand something, folks. We had no teenagers in our church. Not one. Zero. That person sat down and somebody stood up and said, Preacher, if we're going to have a youth choir, they need uniforms to sing in where they'll look nice. Ken said, we didn't have any young people, much less a youth choir. That person said, all this is true. You can verify it with him. A man stood up and said, Preacher, if we're going to have a youth choir and they're going to have uniforms, they're going to have to have a bus so they can go sing somewhere. Ken said, we didn't have any young people. And they're worried about a bus. One man raised his hand and said, Preacher, my dream is we'd have bathrooms in the church. See that little Wolf Creek, Kentucky church? They had outhouses behind the building. They didn't have any bathrooms in the building. Somebody stood up and said, Preacher, uh, I, I, I wish we'd waterproof the basement. Ken said, now that was the best thing anybody had said because every time it rained there in Wolf Creek, they'd have about two inches of water in the basement and all their small groups and children's ministry met in the basement. Somebody said, Preacher, my dream is we'd have a new porch on the church. Ken said, that was a good idea. He said, the old front door so rotted, he said if he left his key, he could just stick his hand through the door and unlock the church and let people in. That night, they ended up with a list of about 21 things, I believe it was. They didn't have the money, the resources, or the manpower to do anything on that list. So Ken goes back to seminary, back to that class where the professor gave the idea. Ken raised his hand in class and said, Professor, I did one of those dream the dream days in my church. And I've got a list here of about, I believe it's 21 things that they dream. What do you do now? And he said, the professor looked at him and said, you mean you tried that? He'd never done it either. It's just theory he'd read in a book somewhere. Ken said he looked over that list and he said, you know, that waterproof in the basement something we could do. We could dig around the church and I could get the men to help. So he went to his church in a couple of weeks and he said, now, on this Saturday, we're all going to come. And we're going to dig around the church and we're going to waterproof the basement. One of those things on that list. And that Saturday came and Ken said when he got there, counting him, there was one. Nobody showed up. Ken said he dug for a little while around that church and he said, you know, if this is ever going to happen in my whole tenure here as pastor, it's going to take more than me to do this. And he thought about a boy he had led to Jesus named Billy. Now I need to tell you all about Billy. Billy had served on every chain gang in every county around that little Wolf Creek, Kentucky town. He'd been in trouble all of his life. And Kenny had led him to the Lord just a few weeks earlier. And he knew Kenny had dug ditches. And he knew Billy would know what to do. So he goes to see Billy and says, Billy, we need to dig around the church so we can waterproof the basement. Can you help me do that? He says, sure, preacher, I can help you. He said, how many do you have to help us? And he said, well, Billy, count you and me, there's two. He said, Billy looked at him and said, Preacher, I don't know much about church, and I don't know much about churches, but I do know about digging ditches, and it's going to take more than me and you to do this. And then he looked at him and said, Ken, he said, I can get us some help, but you know who my buddies are. My buddies is all my chain gang buddies and all my criminal buddies. Ken said, he looked at him and he said, Billy, I've tried my crowd, you try yours. And he said, in about an hour... Billy had a whole bunch of his buddies digging around the church. Now, Ken said their little church was on the main road there in Wolf Creek, Kentucky. And he said people were coming by there. You could hear rocks slung and tires squalling as people saw every thief and thug in two counties digging around that little baby's church. He said in the afternoon one of his deacons showed up with a backhoe and they dug around the church. And before the sun went down, they had waterproofed that basement. They're sitting out there drinking some lemonade. And one of those guys that Billy had got to come help him looked at him and said, Preacher, what are we going to do 
next Saturday. Again, said he didn't know he knew anything about the church. And he said, well, I don't think we're going to do anything next Saturday. We don't have any money to do anything on the list that we have. He said, preacher, I thought you said today that on that list you had was a basketball court. Ken said, there is, but we don't have any money for concrete or to get it finished or anything. He said, uh, preacher, you don't know what I do for a living, do you? He said, no, sir. He said, preacher, I finish concrete for a living. He said, I'll get my boss man to donate the concrete. If y'all will come out here next Saturday, I'll help us and we'll put a basketball court in. And that's what they did the next Saturday. Cross culture, please listen to me this morning. In the next 18 months in that church, all the things on that list happened. They had a basketball court, a new front porch, bathrooms in the building. Ken baptized 20 teenagers off of that basketball court that they led to Jesus. They baptized 58 people. They had a youth choir with uniforms and a bus to go sing somewhere. But it would have never happened without a step of faith. You've got to believe God for what He wants you to do. You've got to get out of the boat. See, I want to ask you a question this morning. What's the name of your boat? There's an interesting thing about boats. Every one of them's got a name. Every one of them. I heard of a preacher who named his boat Visitation. So when they'd call the church and he was fishing, the secretary said he's out on visitation. What's the name of your boat? See, for some of you, the name of your boat this morning is doubt and unbelief. You're so doubtful. If I were to ask you, do you know for 100% certain today that you would be in heaven when you die? You'd say, I don't know that. When the Bible says these things have been written unto you to believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, K-N-O-W, that you have eternal life. Not hope, wish, think, know. Some of you, it's, it's unbelief. Well, I, what if this is right? What if this is right? For some of you, the name of your boat is an addiction or a habit. It's drug you along. In fact, some of you, it's an open thing. People know about it. For some of you, you don't think anybody knows about it. But I've got news for you, God does. And it's dragging you down. It's ever before you. It's, it's pulling you along life's way. For some of you, the name of your boat this morning is, listen to me, is unforgiveness and bitterness. See, something's happened to you. You've been the victim or you've been victimized. You could have been molested or harmed or abandoned by a spouse. You, you could have gone through something in your life and that bitterness and that unforgiveness is there. And hear me carefully this morning. You can't go anywhere with God with unforgiveness in your heart. We don't like this verse either. Jesus said it. He said it after he taught the disciples how to pray. He said, if you won't forgive others, I won't forgive you. For most of you this morning, the name of your boat, look, look down over the side. The name of your boat is fear. You're afraid to sell out to Jesus. You're afraid to do what you know he's told you. And the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. But a power and love and a sound mind. Listen to me. All fear is of the enemy except the fear of God. But it's not going to happen till you take a step of faith. Third point I want you to see today. Not only must you see the real Christ, not only must you take a step of real faith, but hear me, you must experience real help. Real help. Now, now Peter wasn't a Southern Baptist. How, how do I know that? By the way he prayed. See, if Peter had been a Southern Baptist when he began to sink, you know the story. You could, you could teach this as good as I could this morning. You know the story. Peter's out on the water and the waves are bashing and the winds are blowing and he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. See, Peter wasn't a Southern Baptist. He'd prayed something like this. Our God of ages, ancient past, and bless the missionaries around the world. Blah, 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 blah. He'd have drowned. You know what he prayed? Lord, save me. It's not much on praying. 
but it's good if you're drowning. Listen to me this morning. We're drowning. Our nation's drowning. Our culture's drowning. Our churches are drowning. Almost a thousand Southern Baptist churches a year close their doors. Every year. Our families are drowning. Some of you, your marriages are drowning. Your life is drowning. You're, you're just treading water. I love this story. Because the Bible says immediately Jesus reached down and lifted up. I don't believe the top of Peter's head got wet. I'm telling you, when you take a step of faith and you obey the Lord and you follow Him and you do what He tells you to do, you're not going to triumph. Jesus is there. And He'll pull you up. Some of you say, Preacher, I'm just afraid to get out on a limb. Listen, friend, you're not even up in the tree. We're so afraid that we're going to be way out here somewhere. We're missing the whole point. You're listening to a man this morning. I've been out there on that limb. I've been there where Jesus didn't come through. I was through. I'm glad to tell you this morning, Jesus is enough. I'm glad to tell you today, He'll come through. See, when you get out there, when you walk on the water with Jesus, see, I don't ever believe there was one day Peter ever forgot that. Even that day, you remember when he denied the Lord three times? I believe that's why he went out and wept. Because he remembered that day when he did the impossible with Jesus. And he realized he could have done it that day and he failed. I believe he thought about it that day when somebody needed to speak a word on the day of Pentecost and Peter got up and preached a few-minute sermon and 3,000 people got saved. I don't believe you ever forgot that. I'm going to tell you something. You ever walk with Jesus on the water, you'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. See, fear won't stop you if you ever do it. Once you've been with Jesus out on the water, fear won't stop you anymore. You won't care what people think. That's usually what creates our fear. We're afraid of what somebody's going to say. Folks, listen to me today. There's only one opinion that matters, and that's God's. That's it. And then you look at the facts. That's what stops most churches. We can't do this because and fill in the blank. We don't have this. We don't have that. We can't do this. We can't do that. we got all the reasons why we can't do things. If we look around us and we see what's happening in our society today, over two, by conservative standards, over 200 million Americans are lost. What does that translate to? This is what it translates to. When you came to Cross Culture this morning, at least, and probably here it's more, at least seven out of the ten homes that you passed were lost people. At least that many. Ivy Rhodes, you know Ivy. We'll be in Boston with him this summer. And by the way, if you'd like to go with us, talk to me. But where Ivy is, two out of a hundred people profess any kind of faith. That means every time he goes to Walmart, a hundred people in that Walmart, 98 of the people he's going to meet are lost. When you start looking at those things and what it takes to reach people for the gospel, the facts will overwhelm you. But friend, if you ever walk with Jesus on the water, they won't overwhelm you anymore. Because you know it does not make any difference. He's got whatever it takes. And then the other thing that will happen, his failure won't cripple you anymore. See, some of you have failed. And you waller in that failure. You say, Paul, I, I can't do what you're talking about. I can't just abandon myself to God and become a witness and become a missionary at work and at school. I, I just can't do those things you're talking about. Because, you see, I, I, I tried one time and, and I failed. Friends, you walk on the water with Jesus, failure won't cripple you anymore. Peter failed a lot of times, but he kept on chugging. You know why? Because I think you remembered that night. That night when Jesus said, come, come. 
Jesus said this one other way. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall in the ground, it die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Jesus said, you've got to die to self and sin and all the stuff. You've got to die to it and abandon yourself to what He wants you to do. What I have up here this morning is an ear of corn. And I'm not a farmer, but I've learned something about corn. I saw Chuck Milhuff do this years ago. And uh, this, is, this is a nice ear of corn. What I've learned about corn is when a stalk comes up, a stalk of corn will have one, two, or three ears on it. Some stalks will have three. Every stalk will have at least one. On average, it has two. It has two. Now, on this this morning, you see on this ear of corn, little corns. You say, Paul, that, 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 those aren't corns, they're kernels. Do you eat kernel on the cob or do you eat corn on the cob? They're corns. All right? And you take one of these and plant it in the ground. It dies to everything it is, to that soil. And from that one little corn comes a stalk. And on average... Two ears. Excuse me for a minute. Six hundred. Six hundred corns from one. Oh, wait a minute. No, from that one corn, there'll be at least two ears of these. So, twelve hundred kernels of corn from one. Cross-culture, listen to me this morning. Do you know what that is? That's corn. That's dumb corn. Corn can't think. Corn can't get saved. Corn can't get baptized. Corn can't go on a mission trip. Corn can't have a small group. Corn can't play an instrument. Corn can't worship. Corn can't tithe. That's just dumb corn. And if God can do that for corn, how much more can He do for you? But He can't until you get out of the boat and die to your ideas and your opinions and your fears and your past and your problems and say, Lord, you said come and I'm coming. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.